Hey everyone, welcome to Turnbuckle Boogie. I am professional wrestling historian Timothy Styles, and with me is professional wrestler Cutthroat Cody Hancock. Ahoy! Hey buddy, how are you? Um, I am finally back in the free world after testing positive for COVID-19 for the second time on Saturday. So uh, my first gym session was back today. I did some legs but avoided the cardio so I didn't scare anybody with any leftover hacking that I have. But I, I feel relatively back to normal today, thankfully. Right. Yeah. It, it's funny. Last week. Uh, we we recorded remotely, just like we're doing today, instead of in person. Uh, and the reason why was uh, uh, you were like, ah, I'm coughing up green and orange stuff. And I was like, all right, we'll just stay home. No big whoop. Um, and uh, I didn't think the worst of it, but uh, apparently you had the worst of it. So you got the, uh, the dreaded COVID-19 for the second well- time for the second time and thankfully uh vaxxed and boosted so uh the guidelines are not necessarily clear uh and i had to kind of do a lot of digging Um, what do you mean the cdc guidelines the the, the cdc guidelines have changed uh now that people are vaccinated and boosted so there's a lot of confusing information out there um well if you go to the cdc's website it's pretty clear yeah, but so we we took all the precautions. We got all the information. We stayed inside for about five and a half to six days. And um, when I'm going around town, which not necessarily going around town, I'm just making sure that I'm wearing my mask, washing my hands and not sneezing on anybody. Well, I mean, the reason why they say it's five days now instead of what it used to be, which is 10 and even 14 is because it's it's the most transmissible within the first three days. So even five has a little padding on the end. So absolutely, uh, yeah, I think you should be good. But yeah, unfortunately, last week I texted you after I uh, ed- edited the show and I went, "Hey, take a shot every time you cough. You'll black out within fucking ten minutes." Yep. Well, <laughs> I've, I've, I've other than that, it was uh, it was one of my favorite shows. Oh, it was one of your favorite episodes. Yeah. Good. I thought there was a lot to be learned there. I I I, I enjoyed going kind of in depth. Uh, I, I still feel really great about the MJF uh, CM Punk match, and that's something that I really still think a lot of people need to point their attention to. It was a it was a brilliantly worked professional wrestling match intended for television. Well, we don't need to rehash last week's episode. Let me get through the intro. Hell yeah. Folks, if you care to support the show, please do by going to turnbuckleboogie.com, clicking on the gimmick table, and purchasing a t-shirt. It would make us very happy. Uh, Also, friend of the show and contributor, James Mattern has a new podcast out now called Thanks for Coming Out, which is on uh, every podcast platform imaginable, including, I think, maybe even YouTube. Their their first week's guest is Mark Normand, who's my favorite comedian working today. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Co-star Shuli Agar, uh, formerly of the Howard Stern Show. And it's very good. It's all about comedians bombing. (laughs) Which Which it's about time they have a podcast dedicated to just that. Yeah, going up. You know, there's something to be said about performing. 
whether you're a professional wrestler, a comedian, an actor, a musician, you know, we've all had those, those moments where you go up on stage and you give it everything you got and the crowd just doesn't give a fuck. They're just sitting on their thumbs and it's like, Ugh, whatever. I'll give you a little secret to me. I had what was uh, what I like to call my internal Iggy pop switch. If I felt that the crowd wasn't giving me anything, I'd flip the switch. And that meant I was going to fucking destroy the place. I was going to start kicking over tables, all everyone's beers. I was going to start taking off clothes and crawling around on the bar or wherever I happen to be at. I would start uh, very uh, without saying it outright being very sexually threatening to man and woman, uh, anyone within hearing distance of me. <laughs> and the idea was so that everyone would be like, Jesus Christ. Like it really, it really cut right down the middle. Most people would say, Oh, it was the worst show I ever saw, but a handful of people would go. It was the greatest show I ever saw. Well, I think that there's something No, they were still in the intro. I, I want to talk about this though, because it's an interesting topic. All right, well, then uh, I'll jump to it. Let's buggy. All right, continue so, your thought. So uh, I think that depending on your your artistic endeavor of choice, that there's things that you can do uh, within the realm of performing uh, musically or professional wrestling that you are going to be able to kind of get more of a reaction. Right. So if, if I'm being, if nobody's giving me a response, I'm able to change it up. Right. Right. I'm able to then, if I'm a good guy, people start treating me like a bad guy. I can switch to bad guy. I can give the people what they want. Whereas I know that there's uh, some comedians, I believe that there was um, Dennis Miller. Uh, Dennis Miller apparently would start with three or four jokes and based upon the response that he would get with that joke, he would then tailor his set to that for his uh, 15 minutes. Right. And that makes, that I, makes sense because he can go deeply intellectual Yep. Uh, or he can keep it bare bones. Cha-cha. Yeah. Oh, he, 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 he can keep it like a little bit pale, like Jim Gaffigan, right? right. Or, or he can get raunchy, you know, it's not wrong. On- I wouldn't say that. I would say, cause Dennis Miller's known for making really, uh, deep, like really hard premises that most people would like, I don't get the reference. Right. You know, so I imagine that's probably his real test. Like, how deep can I go with these people? Yeah, because he used to make a lot of like random references to like Shirley Modowney and shit like this that, that only a select few people are going to get that kind of shit. Well, and so I think, though, that in comedy, when you bomb, you're not able to really 
do much more than tell jokes and you can change the angle of the jokes that you're trying to tell. You can start maybe making fun of the front row, right? Well, it's more you than know. that. Of course. I you mean, go ahead I, and elaborate. Well, it's, it, I mean, J, if James were here, he would be the best person to explain it. Maybe we should have him on in the future to, to, to justify <laughs> a, a bombing. You know, it's, if things are going bad, you just try to get, you put your head down and try to power through and try to, um, you know, be jovial about the whole thing. But unfortunately, as performers, you know, performers are interesting. Not, uh, And we will get to professional wrestling here, folks, I promise. Um, performers, stand-up comedians, professional wrestlers, musicians, etc. Uh, they're both... Uh, very insecure and overly self-confident. Which is a very, very, very fucked up combination. (laughs) Yeah, at the same time. I mean, I've literally gone on stage, played a set, and thought I was the fucking greatest thing since sliced bread. But the minute I got off, the first person I talked to, I'd go, how was that? (laughs) Yep. And I feel like they're, every performer I've ever met has that same quality. They go up there thinking, hey, man, I got the world by the balls. I got it all made. And then they they, they get done. They go, how was that? Was that all right? Did I do okay? What What's funny with that is, is that there's always frustrations that I run into because my brain actually isn't wired that way. Mm-hmm. Like, and however, the majority of people that I'm around, their brain is wired that way. Where my brain is wired to, I never want to go out being overly confident because if something goes wrong, then I'm going to be massively disappointed. However, I do need to still put myself under a certain amount of pressure to say there's an expectation and all I have to do is meet that expectation at best and If I want to go further than that, I need to go past that expectation. The only thing that I can't do is under deliver on the expectation that I place for me. Mm. And oftentimes I used to really be overly critical of myself. I'm like, okay, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Now I understand why things don't work Mm -hmm. and I'm able to assess and okay, well, did it not work because of X, Y, and Z? And is it something that I can work on in the future? Or is it something that I need to scrap entirely? So, and I oftentimes will have matches with people where something small might happen and it it won't hit the way they were hoping it to hit. And then the only thing I tell them is, is watch the match back and listen to the crowd, right? Like, and then tell me how you feel about the match. And then oftentimes when you watch it back, you don't feel as bad as you did in the moment as it was happening. I think you need to get to that point though, where you do have that confidence. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a key element in, in people who are successful. You have to, you have to get to a point in your life where you believe that your skills are refined enough where, you belong there. Yes. You know, you can't go up and in whatever art form and just go like, well, I hope the people like this. No, you have to go up and let's use wrestling as the example, since this is a pro wrestling show, you have to have a little bit of the mindset of this show isn't complete unless I'm here. Right. 
You know, you have to have that in your head because if you don't think that, then you wouldn't pay a ticket to see you. Then why the fuck should anybody else? And that's really what it's all about. As much as it's an art form and we love the artistic side of it, you got to draw money. Right. Absolutely. And And you need those people who, you know, you could say they're not humble or you could, you could spin it however you want. These people are the shit and they're the first to know it. You, it's right. almost like you got to fake it until you make it. And, you know. Well, it's it's really funny because the the amount of people that think they're the shit and they're not actually the shit, unfortunately. But those uh, people get put in their place until their time comes. The action never stops, and Chet Cheddarfield never sleeps. Here at Southpaw Regional Wrestling, what a week it's been. So much to talk about, and so many things we can't talk about. Like the time I used to pay common people to demean me, and tell me I was bad at reading the news when I had that job up in Utica. Well, <clears throat> we have an interview, uh, and like I said, lots to talk. And certainly, when I think of the word exciting, I know who I think of, and you do too. Right now, we are going to get some exciting, charismatic words from our champion, the Southpaw Regional Wrestling Champion, John Johnson. John? And, and there's even, well, there's people that slip through the cracks and everything, because ultimately... Right. Uh, the most frustrating thing about professional wrestling, much like a lot of other forms of live entertainment, is that it's a matter of somebody else having the opinion of you as well. So me thinking that I should be on every show isn't necessarily going to get me on every show. What I need to do is I need to convince the booker that I deserve to be on that show. So, and honestly, that's through your body of work and things of that nature. And in professional wrestling, there's a little bit more of a awareness of dealing with people that aren't worth the trouble, right? There's some people that the, the only caveat with uh, confidence is, is that there's a very thin line before you cross over into ego. And there's... Even my partner, Jacob Austin Young, is someone that says ego is a good thing to have. Whereas me, I I'm agree. In, yeah, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I don't have an ego, and I'm, I, I know, but I'm, here, I'm very sorry. successful in what I do. So I have an understanding of who I am. I don't need to dig any deeper to find out who I am as a person. I'm confident in my abilities. And I know that I can have an incredible match with anyone that you put me in the ring with. That's right, not now, coming from a place of ego. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, hold, hold on. There, there's, there's a distinction that needs to be made. You okay. saying all that stuff does come from a place of ego. And uh, Jacob Austin Young, your tag team partner in uh, Death Proof, is not wrong. You know, there people often speak ill of ego and go, ah, think of all the bad stuff. They, they're always quick to forget the good stuff that comes along with ego, like ambition, drive, etc. right? The, the truth is, is there's id, there's ego, and then there's super ego. 
Now, yeah. super ego, that is uh, maybe a, a reach too far, so to speak. There's nothing wrong with having ego if it's appropriate. You're, you said it yourself. I have these skills. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with these skills. I'm successful with these skills. I'm confident that I can go into a ring and use these skills and put out something good. That is ego. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And I don't think you should beat yourself up over it. It's been acquired with time. Right. And where the wording that I'm using is coming from a place, but when when you actually go into the three uh, separate definitions of ego, right? The id, the ego and the super ego, you know, the, I think maybe the one thing to say is that there's a lot of people with super ego. Yeah. Right. And the super ego people need to be knocked down a peg. Yes. And despite- they need to be knocked down two pegs to, yes. to below ego because they need to earn those, skills you know we've talked about it a lot off the air i constantly tell you like you know you're at the prime of your not only your career but your your life you know you just turned uh, 37 yes sir i don't know if i should say that on the air no i don't I, like i'm proud like i i've had a lot of people that have kind of sideways out of their mouth told me like are you sure you want people knowing that you're 37? Fuck yeah, I want people to know that I'm 37. Yeah. I'm in the be- I'm the best shape of my life. I am physically active and I am performing at a top level. It's now, more than that. It's more than that. You're you're mature, you have the wisdom of a 37-year-old. That's not nothing, I'll tell you. Yeah, there's, man. there's a big difference between Cody at 25 and Cody at 37. I can assure yep. you. And hairstyle choice alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I really do think that that's the challenge for people, though, is that they have to. I had a really good talk with uh, Charlie Haas, um, mm-hmm. who is in his 50s, who has recently decided to come back to professional wrestling. Mm. And he's still doing extremely well. And it, he told me that he wasn't concerned with being the old guy in the locker room anymore, as long as he could still go out and perform at the level that he wants to perform at. And as long as he's able to leave something with whoever he wrestles, wherever he goes. And that's something for me that was a little bit of an eye opening experience for me because the stigma that has been put on the industry of if you don't get signed by the time you're 30, you're not going to make it, which granted that window does close, but there's a lot more opportunities for people to get now. And there's also opportunities that people can make for themselves. And as long as you don't have two left feet, and as long as you're not at the risk of harming yourself or harming somebody else. And if you can strap on a pair of boots, like I'm okay with being uh, viewed as older in the community now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, that first season of NWA power, uh, when it was on YouTube, uh, my favorite wrestler during that, uh, first season was Tim fucking uh, storm, Tim storm. Yep. He was, he was my favorite. And that guy was well into his fifties. 
Yep. He was he was not an overly charismatic dude. He was just like an average dude who just happened to be in this great shape. And he was I think he was a teacher or something during the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, because it, it, it and was, it's it stands out when a gr- when a grown man with with the <laughs> is in a locker room with a bunch of young kids, it's it you feel it. You feel yep. a level of maturity around you that you can't comprehend. And, and that, it, that person almost it, naturally should be better than you. It's funny where um, there was a, there was a multi-man match that I was in, I think during the first grab house and I'm in there with like early, <laughs> yeah, early 20 somethings. And there was even a Davion Jaco who is, 16 i believe going on 17 year old 17 years old right now right and you can just hear somebody scream when the room gets quiet kick these fucking kids asses cody <laughs> and i'm like yeah i'm like no problem i could i i will absolutely put an ass whooping on sure, these children i'm sure every other fan was like look at this boomer in the ring i like how that's become a uh a detrimental term well, I, <laughs> by the I, way, it wouldn't be accurate in your case. It just means old person now, unfortunately. It, it does just mean old person now, and it, it it's really funny because I, 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 the majority of people that I'm around are actually young adults. You know, right. like they're right. they're early twenties. Um, there's some that are mid twenties and some that are late twenties. It's very rare that I'm in a locker room full of people that are my age. Because right. I, I have now in your officially, prime. yeah, I, I've reached that period, and I'm always sympathetic, and I always want to have my finger on the pulse of what the kids are doing. You know, mm-hmm. just that way, I'm not completely lost in the woods. But there are some things that I'll just openly admit, like, hey, I have no idea why, for some reason, every dude is calling each other king. I don't get it. Oh, is that a thing? I've not heard it. It is absolutely a thing. And I don't know when it happened, but uh, people like, I imagine you going into the grab house locker room, which is probably someone's uh, living room (laughs) and everyone's standing around talking about NFTs and you're going, ah, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Yeah. Well, the, 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 thankfully the NFT bubble, I think is about to burst very soon. Oh, whatever. (laughs) Bunch of fucking idiots. Well, I, all I know is is that you can make money off stupid people, and I hope well, that people I hope people cash that shit out soon because it ain't gonna last. Well, I don't know. They're stupid people forever, are there not? Riveting, hanging on every single word of our young, charismatic champion John Johnson. Uh, we are. We do. We can. Should we go now? Yes, we should. It appears as if uh, John still has some things to say. I can only imagine what they are. And right now we have our infield correspondent, uh, Clint Bobsky. We will go down to Clint and the remainder of his interview with John Johnson. Clint. I always hold the mic, you understand? There's no reason for you to grab the mic, okay? You might want to have a little bit more uh, charisma. This is the wrestling business, okay? Come on, my friend. That's $500 to get that made here. Come on, that's a nice little talk. I don't know about this kid. I don't know if if he's got what it takes. Hey, Clint. uh, Easy, buddy. We know that your uncle owns the station, and that's the reason you have a job, but uh, certain professional conduct 
is necessary for Southpaw Region. Isn't that right, Jeff? Clint is a piece of shit. Anyway, back to the action. We uh, have so much to talk about, but here with some words for Big Tex are his so-called friend, Chad Tubat. John Cena's entrance music. So meat moves. I don't even know what that guy's saying. Does he say anything when he goes? Who knows? Who knows? It's probably John Cena yelling it too, right? It's not like a sample from anything. It's got some trumpets in there. Is that trumpet or horn? Doesn't matter. It's a brass. Well done. We know there's a little bit of brass in his theme music. So well, you what's know what's there to say about John Cena? Last week when we were talking, you know, we finished the show and we said, oh, what are we going to do next week? And um, I thought, well, actually, it occurred to me because I've been watching some TV lately and um, John Cena is currently promoting Peacemaker, his HBO show about the character from the Suicide Squad. And this motherfucker is going around everywhere in the Peacemaker outfit looking like a fucking idiot. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he, he, he's making money and he's getting people talking about it. I guess. Well, I'll tell you, here, here's my takeaway. First of all, I did not see the, the new Suicide Squad because I saw the last Suicide Squad and just like uh, all the Spider-Man movies after those first three, I don't really need them. I'm sure these yep. new ones are fantastic, but uh, I mean, how many... How many and to make a Suicide Squad and then to immediately remake it? Because that's what they did, right? Well, I I gave up after Batman v Superman. So when Batman v Superman came out, I watched that in theaters, and I'm like, okay, it's starting okay. And then the one thing that was evident to me about that was is that that was DC their sucks. Word. It's not. I won't say that DC sucks because if you actually compare their literature versus their film dc films suck dc comics have been some of the strongest stories told in decades and especially at when alan moore came into dc with uh swamp thing and watchmen and v for vendetta you know there there's been some really good stuff but they yeah but everything in the dc universe the DC canon is fucking, it looks good on paper, but it, it's stupid in execution. Like, I love the concept of the Flash. Here's a guy who can run, fa- for, he can run faster and faster. Like, apparently there's no end to how fast he can run. He can vibrate his atoms and basically just phase shift through doors. Whoop. He yep. can he can tear a hole in time and space and travel through time. I mean, this is fantastic. And then you read the books, and it's like, uh, you know, uh, I remember the old guy. Wasn't his name like Wesley something? It was something stupid. 
Uh, all his bad guys were dumb. Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang. <laughs> it, it, like, it's either Commander Cold and Captain Boomerang. No, they're both and, captains. <laughs> they're both captains. Well, in the world's also, worst army. <laughs> so the one, the one thing that I'll say too is that a lot of these characters were being made in the fifties and sixties, right? Earlier, which than that. even earlier than that. Then, so there was we weren't as fully developed in our storytelling as we are in today's modern landscape where, right. you know, it wasn't until the seventies and the eighties where Batman kind of got an edge. Right. right? Well, and that's the, they've, they've, that's why Batman's really the only good one. <laughs> right. That's not an Alan Moore spinoff. Uh, Batman's great because they've updated Batman's story with with every generation that's kind of come along, even recently with the Christopher Nolan movies and stuff. Um, I mean, the same that, like I say, that I tried to watch that Flash TV show. I must have watched maybe a, a season and a half, and I don't know why I even bothered because the whole time I was like, "This is so stupid." <laughs> Right. Well, Batman v Superman, they were trying to catch up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Instead of taking the, the time. Zack Snyder's fucking his eye for whatever. The filters he puts on his films, they it's just looking at it looks cheesy. Well, for me, I really loved Watchmen. Yeah, like, I love Watchmen. I, I think that Watchmen was fantastic and I think that ultimately when it comes down to it is, is that Marvel kind of already was way into their third or fourth phase by the time DC even said, yeah, we're going to do what they're doing. And it ever, I didn't watch anything past, like I said, Batman v Superman. I didn't care about suicide squad. I won't watch the first one. I won't watch the second one. I won't watch the third one. You know, I'll watch the new Batman, right? I watched the Joker. Like that I I was absolutely thrilled with how Joker came out. I wasn't over the moon about it. Well, I'm sorry. Oh, and I like the Joker. But everyone else likes it. I can understand why everyone likes it, but I, I didn't care for it. I'm not interested in watching a fucking hour and a half long guy struggle with his mental health. Uh hey, guess what? I brought up John Cena. <laughs> Yeah, well, getting <laughs> we back to off on Cena comic and, peace, and, and, and getting back to Peacemaker, and it, I personally think that John Cena is kind of an eccentric character. Oh and, yeah, that's something I was going to bring up, and I, I want that to be celebrated more because oh, absolutely, I do. He, I think he should have played Martian Manhunter instead of fucking Peacemaker because he seems like an alien from Mars for me. Anytime he talks, it's, it's strength. It's like, I don't know how to put this. Like I remember once years ago, I needed a job and I got a, 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 an interview and it was for, I won't get into details, but I'll just say it was a very corporate environment. And I went in for the interview and I sat down with this guy and he was a in shape, handsome, blonde haired, blue eyed guy. And it was like, typecasting is like we need to cast a guy to be a corporate douchebag get this guy this guy sat in front of me and asked me all the same old corny corporate questions like where do you see yourself in five years it's like oh this guy not a creative thought in his head 
Anyway. Right. Anytime I see John Cena talking, it, it, he strikes me as like this guy. Like he's never at there. There's not a hair out of place. There's not a phrase out of place. There's nothing strange or or anything about him. He's normal to a fault. He's normal to the point of where it's like this guy is weird because he has no dirt underneath his fingernails. There's nothing strange about him at all. And it's, with the exception of all you have to do to find anything strange about him is just you know, follow him on Instagram. Like I, I'm actually scrolling through and what I love is he just posts pictures without any context. Yeah. Um, I remember that there, he just recently got done posting the uh, peace and tragedy uh, the, or the home sweet home album cover for Montley crew. And then you scroll down just a few more pages. And then he has a picture of a woman wearing a dress made of pearl necklaces that just says pearl necklace. Right. Like he, he's such an, there, there's a picture of fucking pitfall for fuck's sakes. Like he's yeah, there's like I, something I, endearing about him. I don't know that there's something endearing. I find that there's something enigmatic in a way that I don't know anyone really knows who this guy is or maybe we do know and it's him because that's his Instagram account his Twitter account is nothing but motivational speeches in 140 characters or less yeah you know win the day fight the fight blah blah, blah fill in the blanks any sort of corny predictable sort of <laughs> motivational comment that's like every day's you message never doubt your powers unless you want to get power to your doubts Perfect. Perfect. Yes. I couldn't have written it any better. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I've never seen that. I would like, I would be interested in hanging out with him for an afternoon just to see if anything weird comes up, but he's been so rich and famous for so long, you know, much like Vince McMahon, there's probably no humanity left. I mean, you remember what, if you ever watched any of that, uh, not the, the Bella's, show but that spinoff that they had where they all uh lived in john cena's house with brian danielson was it total divas no it was like oh well, maybe it was total bellas but total it was. Bellas. I, I remember yep. watching a couple episodes of this thing because it was like everyone's moving into john cena's house or whatever and i thought oh this will be funny and john cena turned out to be a fucking weirdo now it's reality television <laughs> so take it with a grain of salt but you know he had a lot of weird sort of sh like shit i can't even comprehend like hey dinner time in the house is 5 30 and everyone has to sh dress uh you know business casual or some shit like you had to wear a fucking smoking jacket <laughs> oh yeah hell yeah like, it might have been just for tv but it was it was like but there are people like this out there these sort of aristocrat fucking weirdos that it's like, is this guy for fucking real? What's up with yeah. this guy? Well, and you know, I'm sure a lot of that is for the show, but like I said, I think for me, cause I used to be overly critical of John Cena and I was independent wrestling fan. Number B that would go to WWE house shows to boo John Cena and shit. And then it wasn't until I realized, uh, what the industry was about that I noticed how brilliant John Cena was as a wrestler. And then the second that he started going on social media, 
especially his Instagram account is just absolutely spectacularly random. And it makes me want to get to know him on a personal level, just to kind of see what's inside of his head. Hello, Turnbuckle Boogies, it's James Mattern. I'm walking in the mean streets of Greenwich Village. Not Greenwich, Connecticut. We already talked about Shane. We gotta move on from him, goddammit. Guys, I'm recording this a day after arguably the greatest AEW Dynamite of all time. Never had more fun watching wrestling. I mean, this is even better than the first Survivor Series. That opening match had Outlaw Ron Bass. I mean, you can't get better than Outlaw Ron Bass on the first first match ever of a thing, huh? Can you? Guys, let's just discuss it. Forbidden door. People don't even know what that means anymore. Fucking Tony Khan forgot what it was too, and then he reminded himself, oh, it should be someone from another company. And he did it. And it's the Switchblade Jay White. And I'm here for people. Oh, is that really a big deal? Let me tell you, it fucking is. Switchblade might be the best heel I've seen in years. People don't talk enough. This is how big of a heel he was. Years ago, I had New Japan's app. And I would watch New Japan matches and other wrestling while doing cardio at the goddamn gym. And I'd watch it stoically, and I would get energy from it, and it was fun. Two days after the G1, I know he loses. I'm in a public place doing cardio, almost falling off the goddamn machine, rooting for him to lose. I know the sports will work. I know he already lost. That's how hateable he is. God bless the switchblade. If a DNA test came back and I found out he was my father after 40 fucking four years almost, I'd be like, fuck my father. I'd rather be a bastard. That's how hateable this son of a bitch is. It's a good goddamn move. Seriously. Seriously. He's the best. He's like, he's like everyone's first three stepdads. You're like, I don't like a mom. Fuck you. And he doesn't even try to be your friend. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be a shitty stepdad. You'll never get dessert with me. Also, you suck at sports. I haven't seen you yet, but you suck. Switchblade. He's pro wrestling stepdad. All right, turnbuckle boogies. It's been a treat. Did you hear that? They're talking about Switchblade. He's a cultured man. Late, everybody. Goodbye, turnbuckle boogies. Yeah, I started watching the first uh, season. Well, the only season, I guess, of that Peacemaker show on HBO. And um, it's strange because, you know, there's John Cena. He's super in shape, although he's not that he's starting to look his age. I think he probably looks younger than what his actual age is. But it's strange. I First of all, I'll just cut right to the chase. I didn't like it because it seemed to be crass for the sake of being crass. Like, hey, how many times can we... <laughs> say fuck it's like all right i get it like there's gonna be better writing than this i'm not a 12 year old i don't i don't mind cussing i still have to see the show no i don't mind cussing either as somebody who cusses a lot i mean every other fucking word yeah well i i do want to watch it just for the sake of and it seems strange sorry it seems strange coming out of john cena's mouth mr hustle loyalty respect all this shit it's like the most make a wishes you know out what of it, anybody. Yeah, you know what it feels like? It feels like when you watch Showgirls 
Okay. And you're and you're like, hey, look, there's Elizabeth Berkeley from uh, Saved by the Bell. Holy God, she's showing her titties and her butthole and all kinds of stuff. This sex scene is ridiculous. She seems like she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like that. But instead of fucking put the uh, F word and instead of Elizabeth Berkeley, put John Cena. Hell yeah. It's like he's saying fuck, but it's like his first time. <laughs> like I, I said, I, I, he should be Martian Manhunter, not Peacemaker. I, I, I'm all for it, man. And I, I, will, I will say, man, that it's, I, I want him to be just as successful as The Rock. And I really think that everyone talks about Hogan, right? Mm-hmm. Hogan never really had a good movie. Hogan was in Mr. Nanny and God, all the other terrible movies, no holds barred and stuff like that. He was never really in like the Hollywood elite. Whereas the rock, I would definitely say has become a member of Hollywood elite. Uh, Even Batista with his limited roles has had a better movie career than Hulk Hogan and for John Cena to be right there at the cusp. And I, I want to, I want to celebrate him as much as I possibly can. I guess. I mean, his movie career is better than stone cold Steve Austin's. And I don't think of him uh, in any, even close wrestling career wise, close to stone cold Steve Austin. I mean, this brings up another interesting debate. Uh, you know, he, I think with the WWE sort of, uh, retroactively rewriting history to say who's the greatest and who's not, and, you know, believe it if you want, but a lot of casual fans will probably repeat it. I'm sure years from now, if they're not saying it already, that John Cena was the greatest savior of this company ever. He was better than Stone Cold. He was better than Hulk Hogan, but Ultimately, to me, and this is how he'll be remembered around my house, is John Cena was the tipping point of when the WWE didn't know what to do anymore. I don't know if I necessarily can can join that with him because the decline of the popularity of professional wrestling, I think, was destined to happen due to just... It was just sheer overload. You had the Monday Night Wars. You had the NWO. You had DX. You had Hogan on one side. You had people like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin on the other side. And the once the boom period ended, what they needed to try to do is they needed to try to gain some of that back. Was Cena successful? In doing that, I don't necessarily think that he was successful in the way that people like Hogan and Stone Cold and The Rock were successful. However, the popularity of professional wrestling within its core fan base and the merchandise that he did sell, on top of the fact is not only was he the guy with the most make-a-wishes, but he was the guy that was being wished for the most. Right. It's not a coincidence. That's by design. Now, by design, as in the choice of the dying child. Sure. I mean, look, 
and we're dabbling in a sensitive territory here. It's by design that his character was made for a certain demographic in the same yes. way that the Ultimate Warrior, its character was made for a certain demographic. I'm sure that there are plenty of adults during the Ultimate Warrior's time who thought, this character's fucking stupid. This guy comes out, cuts promos, doesn't make one goddamn lick of sense. He wrestles fucking for 10 seconds and he's blown sky high two seconds in. Um, you know, this is not great, but guess what? Your old buddy, uh, Timothy Saws was a fucking uh, little warrior because he was covered. He was jacked like no one's business. He had crazy shoestrings tied off at all, every joint. And he constantly seemed to be in motion. They were flailing about. He was covered in neon colors from head to toe at all time. You know, it's it's sort of one of the ongoing jokes. If you want to appeal to kids, hit them with a bunch of violent colors. And right. John Cena falls in that category. I can see that. Is he, is it, he's a Boy Scout character who appeals to kids who will never turn. You know, it, it, it's it's it seems obvious. And, you know, the, the WWE wanted to make a switch right after. um Benoit, they really leaned into uh, Cena. Yeah. I don't need to elaborate on the Benoit stuff anymore. but <clears throat> Not at all. Uh, but it, they really leaned into Cena and into this PG era, as, they ended, well, as we all call it or refer to it, because they needed to clean up wrestling's image. It had gotten out of control. And they, but the problem is, is you can't make violent shifts. You can make moderate changes. You can push a little bit in another direction, but if you just violently switch and that's kind of what they did, they went from being the super violent ruthless aggression era to, yeah, we're PG now. And here's our face, the smiling, you know, guy with a, with a, with a nice hairdo and, good look and he's in shape and he's going to do all this corny shit for the kids and the hustle loyalty respect and the yeah it's made to sell lunch boxes it doesn't matter yes. how good of a wrestler he is in fact he was not really that great moves wise he wouldn't go on to have really good matches uh until much later in his career but that was that pivotal moment of you know here's a guy who was being booed they give him a push and then then he's being cheered a little bit they they give him the flip so that he's a baby face but they give him the kevin nash treatment hey go out there smile and salute the troops and kiss the babies and high five all the dudes and, you right. know all that sort of jazz and you know the wwe has done this for years and, you know, there was times where it, when it did work, it was on a person to person basis, but it sure didn't work for Kevin Nash. It didn't it, it didn't work for a whole load of people. Right. But but this was the <clears> point <throat> where they decided we don't give a fuck if they're not listening. We're selling lunchboxes. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southpaw Regional Wrestling. Yet again, as always, I am Lance Catamaran. 
and flanked by the effervescent Chet Cheddarfield. I'm wasting no time in letting you know that we are less than four weeks away from Lethal Leap Year, which is available on select closed circuit broadcasting boxes everywhere and will be certainly the most action-packed event in the history of professional wrestling. Chet, your thoughts? I can be more excited. There you have it, the always exuberant Chet Cheddarfield. I miss my father. Uh, we're going to throw now to our infield correspondent, Clint Bobsky, who is getting some words with our favorite lovable farmhand, Big Bartholomew. Clint? And, and ultimately, like, once again, the... I, I completely understand everything that you're saying, but they had to be successful in whatever venture that was. Cause once again, the merchandise sells alone and the fact that the guy is now becoming a celebrity on a larger scale than just wrestling, you know, he, his face is everywhere. He has become a household name. And that is something that in the long run, I think that, the decline of everything wasn't necessarily on John Cena, but like, Oh, you said, I'm not the, saying that the, I'm the, saying well, that he's, he's the tipping point yes. there. You know, they made a conscious decision to, we're going to go with this guy. He's going to be the face of everything. Uh, we're going to sell a fucking billion posters, lunchbox, t-shirts, towels, wristbands, headbands, all this sort of shit. And at the same time, when people go, I don't like this at all. We're just going to ignore them. And, Meanwhile, cord cutting is happening. Their fucking viewership really tapered off with that yep. stuff to the point of where it is now, you know, Raw this past week had 1.38 million viewers. When John Cena started wrestling, I'm sure they were averaging around four. Yeah. You know, and, and you can blame cord cutting only to a point, but at some point you have to take some personal responsibility, but they are a publicly traded company. Their jobs as executives is yes. to never take personal responsibility is to right. spin it and go, well, we got rid of uh, Eric Bischoff. We got someone new in there now and we're going to fix everything. And when it still doesn't get any better, they can can that guy. Well, and that's the, the hard part with the industry because it, I agree. I agree with what you're saying about, the decline of it from the switch over from the attitude era to the ruthless aggression era to the PG era. But I think that in today's day and age, the, that change was going to have to happen anyway. It would have been easier if they would have edged it in as opposed right. to shoehorned it like by stabbing it, you know, That's like, that was a point I made about yeah. 10, 10 minutes ago or so. You can yeah. you can make that shift, but it has to be eased into. You can't just make a violent move from, hey, we're known for this, but now we're going to switch to this one thing. You have to condition your fans to, to believe the things that you're presenting. And the only way you can do that is it's a slow burn process. You can't just hit them over the head with it and go, now this, because they'll yes. never they'll never get behind it. The way that most mature people at a WWE event would just go, you know, -a -doo, boo, like they 
see John Cena and they would just have a visceral lizard brain reaction, the same. And then this extended beyond this point into Roman Reigns. Yep. And, and that's a thing too. And something that I would like to just sing John Cena's praises on you. You're still not fucking scrolling through this guy's goddamn Instagram. I'm going to kill you. There is a possibility that I am. It's I'm going to close it right now because man, it's, it, it's it's definitely amusing, but the the thing that made me a Cena fan was ECW One Night Stand. That that had to be the single greatest um, pro wrestling entrance ever, because he he knew he was going to be fucking shit on. He went out with the belt in the air and his head down low. And made his way into the ring and proceeded to have one of the greatest interactions with the fans with the t-shirt throw, right? It was one of the most amazing moments that I think that I've seen in professional wrestling history. I mean, and even the, the match itself with Van Dam, you know, there's nobody else that would have been able to play that role the way that he needed to play that role. Yeah, I agree. Well, look, I've, it sounds like for the past 30 minutes or so, I've been taking the piss out of John Cena. Um, the truth is, is I like John Cena a lot, aside from the fact that I think he's a weirdo. Um, <clears throat> I think that John Cena has the capacity to be a great wrestler. The problem is, is that the WWE cast him in a role that he was, uh, whether by hook or by crook, forced to sort of stay at. Um uh, until things came around in his benefit. You know, the truth is, is he spent most of his career being, uh, you know, yay booed. Yes. You know, that half and half, the kids, hooray, all the, everyone who's hit puberty, boo, you know, yeah. for the entirety of his career. No one had any real respect for him. I expressed on last week's episode, I said, you know, he was actually a really competent wrestler, the problem is, is his two main signature moves, the five knuckle shuffle and the the uh, the the step over toe face, whatever the STF, the STF, with formerly known as the STFU. These two, and even by the way, the attitude adjustment, they don't look like anything because. They're not really anything. That's no secret. I don't think anyone with two brain cells to rub together look at the, looks at those moves and go, "Boy, that guy's in real danger." <laughs> well, but but it, like when when you bring that up, and then you have to go and look at The Rock, right? Which when you talk about The Rock, the people's elbow to this day is still the most ridiculous fucking thing in the world. Well, you, I'll I'll agree with you. I don't think it should be his finisher. Right. And that's the thing, though, is that the model that John Cena followed was the model that was set by people like The Rock and people like Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, the mud hole stomps in the corner um, never really looked like they were going to hurt anybody to the point to where they would be down in the corner long enough for them to sit there to take 10 of them. I disagree. Okay, there's people... Go I ahead. disagree. I think that Stone Cold's moveset looks stiff as fuck. Uh, right. the, the mud hole stomps look like, uh, and you're a wrestler, so you're too close to the forest to see the trees. I'm right. not. I can tell you, just looking at it, like watching that guy uh, kick a guy with a flat of his foot in the chest a bunch, 
it's like good grief this guy. well <laughs> but, yeah and, and let's not and let's not overlook the power of the stone cold stunner buddy for the first five years that guy did that move actually not even five the first year he did that move he looked like he killed every person he gave it to sergeant slaughter was yeah. in the air with his feet extended and landed on his throat jim ross i mean everyone ate shit i, I will say time. I will, I will say Scott Hall had a really good sell for the stunner. Um, but his and, was ridiculous. <laughs> yes. But, but, but then you had these, when the rock took the stunner in that mm-hmm. WrestleMania and he did the back roll into the handstand, into yeah. a quarter turn, into the ropes, you know, like I really feel like there's a lot of people that take the piss out of John Cena and these things, it wasn't just Cena that was guilty of these sins. It was also people like the fucking rock, but because people choose, and I'm not just saying you, I'm just saying that people choose to have rose tinted glasses when it comes to viewing the things that they view. Oh Um, yeah. Without question. I, I think we talked off the air about something like this last week where it was, you know, when someone gets in trouble for some sort of social media faux pas in the wrestling industry, it, when they're a baby face, people tend to be more forgiving. But when they're mm-hmm. a heel, they tend to be crucified almost immediately uh, right. because people don't realize they're being worked by the work that they worked. Brother, brother, brother. <laughs> don't work yourself into a shoot, brother. Right. So, I mean, it, I'm only talking about John Cena's, you know, two, three signature moves. Him as a worker, you know, it was, I believe it was me who brought up that Van Damme Cena thing initially back in season one, where I was like, the day I started to respect John Cena is because it was clear that, oh, this guy gets it, is, is that particular match. And it's for all the reasons that you just explained. He put his head down, the belt over his head like a boss, walk down to the most threatening crowd he's ever been involved in within arm's reach, by the way, gets in and then he plays them like a fiddle by throwing his shirt out. And when they throw it back to him, he looks almost crestfallen. It was so good. I'll throw my shirt over here then. And they throw it back. Oh, he's crestfallen again. I'll throw it over here. This guy wipes his ass with it and then throws it back. And then he just, he's, he's, it's they're in his head and he, of course they're not in his fucking head. He's a six foot two guy who's jacked to the gills, who beat the shit out of everyone in that fucking room anytime he feels like it. He's doing it for show. He's a very smart person. He was yeah, man. a fantastic wrestler. The sad part is it's the WWE's booking I have a real uh, problem with because you saw what happened. You know, in booking, once again, if you hit people over the head with it, the uh, you're gambling whether they're going to reject it or not right and he was pushed to the top immediately it seems like oh no he really had to work for it it was not that long he was the u.s champion really uh quickly and then he was immediately thrust into world championship status he really breezed by that sort of mid-card section from opening to just closing every show he was the man And it wasn't until where people really got behind him and went, hooray, John Cena, there was no yay boo, was when he was the United States champion uh, again. And he was doing that U.S. 
championship open where every week yes. some new person for whether it was from NXT or where it was guy jerk in the curtain could come out and challenge him and he would put on these great wrestling matches folks in all my years of broadcasting the news which was a brief stint in upper Utica New York I have never seen such activity as we've just witnessed as Mr. McElroy, or whatever his name is, has purchased this farm straight under. Big Bartholomew Chet, your reaction to what we just saw. Susan and I had a farm once. She left me for the gardener. Yeah. That she did. I yeah. Hear yeah that, she did. I hear that quite a bit. Yeah. And that does it for another edition of an action-packed, unbelievably twisted episode of Southpaw Regional Wrestling. For an introverted Chet Cheddarfield, I'm Lance Catamaran, wishing you good night. God's sakes, Chet, get yourself together. With the exception of the springboard stunner, I, I wish that he would never do the springboard stunner because that is more egregious to me than the five knuckle shuffle and the STFU. Oh my God, that springboard stunner was fucking terrible. However, well, there's nothing wrong with how he did the springboard stunner. As far as springboard stunners go, he did it just fine. The problem is, is springboard stunners in and of themselves are fucking stupid. Someone write Correct. this down and mail it to Jay Lethal, by the way. Oh, man, I have a different opinion on this cutter. I think the springboard cutter is dope. Well, the but- problem, no, but it's not that. It's the springboard. It's the I Irish whip you one way. I mm-hmm. run and rebound off the ropes in the opposite direction. But when I rebound, I do the, the springboard. I fly at you backwards while you are looking at my backside and it is a move so situational, it defies logic. If yes. I were just walking down the street and a guy was flying at me backwards, I would just throw an elbow across the nape of the neck. You know well, what I mean? It's, like, not gonna, it's not going to look so pretty then. <laughs> That's the perfect counter. Although I'll say this past week, uh, Jay Lethal had a match with Sammy Guevara and he did that springboard and he completely over-rotated over the top of him, and, and Sammy turned it into, like, some sort of bomb of some sort. It was it, it was a pretty cool finish. I'll have, I'll have to watch that. I, it's just a shame that Jay Lethal has had – this is the second time that him and Sammy Guevara have happened, yeah? Uh, I believe so, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because Jay Lethal's debut was against Sammy. <clears throat> I will have to watch the second one because I really enjoyed their first match. But the one thing about that U.S. title run that I thought was so great is that he was having matches with these guys that were indie darlings. The match he had with Sami Zayn, the match he had with Kevin Owens, they were incredible matches. And he really took the people the task of the, oh, well, people want to say that I can't wrestle. Well, Lo and behold, the dude actually can wrestle. It's just he, when you're being micromanaged to the point to where, like you said, you have to go out there and smile right. and you're told to duck that clothesline and hit that comeback the same way every time. And kiss them and, babies. But then look at when he finally, when John Cena finally had the position that he did work for, 
he started kind of doing things a little bit differently than the way he had been doing them. He started adding more to his moveset. He started doing more athletic things. And it's kind of a bummer because that was kind of to the twilight of his career. Because not long after that U.S. title run, he was out making movies. Right. Well, he earned that position. He earned it. Yes. You know, he earned the right to be able to go out there and do whatever he wants. And, you know, what's Vince McMahon going to do? No, God damn it. You have a, what the fuck? So, you know, in conclusion, I think John Cena is a, a pretty rad dude, although an eccentric one, a fucking, a pretty decent wrestler, but the majority of his career was at the mercy of a fucking a crazy whack job. And sadly, that's how he's going to be remembered. That's how he'll be defined by that entire stretch. And the good news is, is that he has that same whack job on his side to rewrite history and go, yeah, people loved him the whole time. Turnbuckle Boogie is a Devo Looter production and is produced by Timothy Styles and Cody Hancock with web production and music provided by Timothy Styles. For more information, go to turnbuckleboogie.com. And for booking information on Cutthroat Cody Hancock, go to cutthroatcody.com. See you next Monday. <laughs>